I'd like you to, to take your Bibles or your church app, and we're going to turn to Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 11. And so this is Palm Sunday, and so we want to read the scripture, but we'll also be traveling to the Old Testament, right? So we're going to start at the New Testament, and then we're going to hop in our uh, Bible bus, and we're going to go into the Old Testament, right? Our, our Bible time machine, right? And we're going, to, we're going to head into the Old Testament and take a journey, all right? So Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 11 says this. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say the Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Bring your king. Uh, behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put, them, uh, put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd sp spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds went before him and followed uh, him, were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Lord, we thank you for this beautiful day that you've given us, Lord. Time to be in your word. Time to spend it together, Lord, even though it may be happening, uh, Lord, electronically. Uh, Lord, through the digital airwaves still yet, Father, we know that you can bless this time together. So, Lord, I just pray that each and every heart, Lord, that is viewing with us, uh, Lord, I just pray that you would, um, Lord, be with them. And that, Lord, that your word would just become a lamp to us, that it would shine in our lives, Lord, and guide our steps. Uh, Father, we pray today, Lord, if there's any hearts that are hurting, Lord, that you will just, uh, Lord, you will touch them in a special way that they will know it's you. And Lord, we love you. And we just pray, Lord, that you bless our time together. And Father, we pray this, Lord, today in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. So this is, um, this is Matthew sharing from his uh, view, if you will, Jesus entering Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. Now, there are so many facets to this story. Now, this is my 14th year that I've been delivering Palm Sunday message. Um, and the story never gets old. Right? And there are so many facets. I've told it from the perspective. I remember one year I told it from the perspective of a donkey. Could you imagine being the donkey? Right? You imagine me, every time, but here's the problem. Every time I preach and I, I, I do from the perspective of a donkey, the only thing I can have in my mind is I, I picture that donkey on Shrek. Yeah. And in the morning, we're having waffles, right? And I love the part where she said, she called me her noble Steve, right? And the big old tubes, right? We there yet? I, mean, I just think of that donkey, and, and so uh, I decided to, uh, <laughs> to look at it from a different perspective this, this year. And so uh, we see this, this, this wonderful time. Now, uh, one year, uh, I really went into the understanding of the Passover. And you got to realize that this day that Jesus rides in is also the day where they would, would make that final choice of which lamb was going to be the Passover lamb. And so there, are so, there is so much uh, things in here that, that, that just really, God is a God of details, 
You know, sometimes we think that God doesn't understand or God doesn't know these. God is a God of details. Even the finest little points God knows about. And so this day that Jesus is coming in and riding into Jerusalem is unlike any other day we've ever seen. Um, matter of fact, when you look at this day, maybe you didn't know this. As a matter of fact, I didn't even have this, uh, uh, didn't even have this in my notes. But if you have your Bible, I want you to, how many have ever heard the song, right? This is the day, this is the day that the Lord hath made, right? Did you know that that song was about this day? Let me point it out to you. Psalms 118. Right? Psalms 118. And it says this. And starting in verse 19. Right? Psalms 118, verse 19. Open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. Now we're going to see that Zechariah called him righteous. Right? This is the righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and become my salvation. Again, when we look at Zechariah 9, you're going to see the correlation here. It says, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Who is that? Jesus Christ. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. So did you see that? This is the gate that the, uh, of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. And he's speaking of this day that's going to come when Jesus is going to enter in. The stone that the builders rejected. Zechariah referred to him as the righteous one. Bringing salvation. Salvation has come. This is the day that the Lord has made. And listen, so, so when we sing that song, are we singing it wrong? No, it's, it's, it's not at all. But the writer here in Psalms is talking about this day that, that the stone that the builders rejected, that is Jesus Christ, the day that he's going to enter in. And salvation, righteousness himself, has shown up in bringing salvation with him for us, coming through the gate. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. This is a special day. This is a day that, listen, that the Messiah has gone full out, and now there is not a shadow of a doubt that he is the one. And so let's look at a little further in the scripture. So in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, I want us to understand that this day that has come is a special day, but it's, it's not a day where people are wondering what's happening. You see, you got to understand for the longest time, the Jews have been waiting for the Messiah, and the Jews knew this verse very well and had been taught this very well. They knew, they knew that, that the Messiah would come in and would come in on the back of a donkey. And we have to understand that that is not a normal thing. It is in no way normal. For, for Jesus is coming and announcing that he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And when the Messiah, when Jesus who's now fully revealed himself that he is the one, when he now comes in and is completing this prophecy that Zechariah has given us, these people, these Jews who are gathered in Jerusalem, it's their city, don't forget that, right? It's their city, the, all these Jews are together, they knew the teaching, and when Jesus comes in, it's finally, listen, Hosanna! Blessed be the son of David. Hosanna in the highest. It is finally here. This day is finally come. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will 
rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day. This is the one we've been talking about. We have read Psalms 118 about the stone that the builder has rejected. We've read Zechariah 9 and the prophecy about him coming in on a donkey. And here he is. Jesus who's, who's healed the sick. Who's opened the, the blind eyes and they've seen their sight. Jesus who has walked on the water. Who's raised the dead. He is now fulfilling Zechariah 9. This is the day that the Lord has made. What a beautiful day. This is not an ordinary day. These people just aren't excited because there's something else happening in the world. No, this day, they finally get it. They finally realize this, and it's him. It's him. Finally, it's him. This day that the Passover lamb, this day that the Passover lamb is normally taken out from among the flock, and, and there he would spend the rest of the time, that lamb would spend the rest of the time with the family until time they came to, to slaughter that lamb. That very day where they choose that Passover lamb, Jesus, the ultimate lamb of God, the one who takes away the sins of the world has now been identified and he's writing in completing the scriptures that they've read for so many years. This is the day. What a beautiful day. Zechariah chapter 9 verse 9. I don't refer to it. Let's go read it. It says rejoice greatly O daughter of Zion. Now listen, do we realize how God, how much God cares for us? Now, we know, we know that the, the nation of Israel, the Jews, wherever you want to refer to them as, we know that they've been, they've been a troubled group, haven't they? I mean, they, they have their highs and their lows, don't they? They have their moments where, man, they are following God, they are listening to him, and man, they are just on fire for him. But then after a while, they start to grow cold. The fire gets dim. And then what do they have? The next thing you know, they're messing up. They're following false gods and, and all this stuff. And God says, I love you, but I'm going to have to chastise you. And, and, you know, they even had to go into captivity for 70 years. But God never changed his mind. Right? Jeremiah 29 says that. Right? For I know the thoughts I have for you. Thoughts of success. Thoughts of love. He told them that while they were going into captivity. Look, just because you're being disciplined, don't, don't think for a minute, I don't care about you. And here we know that Israel has just gotten, or the Jews have just gotten complacent, self-righteous. But he refers to them. Now, don't forget, God knew. It didn't take him by surprise. God knew exactly how their hearts would be when Jesus showed up. Right? The stone that the builder rejected, that means he knew. Still yet he calls him daughter of Zion. That's the kind of love God has for us. Even in our worst moments, he still calls me his son. Aren't you glad? My children have messed up. I mean, they've messed up big. She was their mom's fault, but they've messed up. They're Sal's boys when they know. Even in their worst moments, they're still my son. Their mind. God doesn't change his mind about us. He loves us. And he's given us a choice to make. And he's given us the free will to do that. But make no mistake, God loves you. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. 
Now think of the contrast here. See, there's this contrast that makes this day unlike any other day. Because it wasn't a, a day where somebody just happened, famous, happened to ride into Jerusalem. You see, the contrast is here is we have a king sitting on a donkey. If Alexander the Great was coming into town, he would not be riding on a donkey. Right? It's just like why you don't see movie stars. Right? You don't see them. Well, except for there's always the weird few that ride around in those Prius because they're, you know, that, you know, whatever. Right? But you, you see them driving Lamborghinis. I, I was The other day, Yahoo on Yahoo homepage, they always do something like, you know, there's always this list of things that you can go through and look at a slideshow and see what all the, what all the famous people drive, right? And they got all these Bugattis and, right? and, and, and Porsche 911s and Lamborghinis and all this stuff. Alexander the Great come in. Listen, he comes in. He coming in on a big old, I'm talking big old horse. I'm talking just stallion, kingly stallion. Because when he comes in, he wants everybody to know that he is the man, conqueror, victorious. But our king, our king doesn't need pomp and circumstance, even though he deserves it. He should have got even more than that. More than just him yelling out Hosanna and putting their cloaks and, their, and the palm branch there. He should have got a lot more of that. But listen, that's not who he is. He came in the most humble way. Why? So that we would know that he, he's our Messiah. He's not a, a Messiah for the rich. He's not a Messiah just for those who can afford to sit near him. He's not a, a Messiah for the uppity-up society. No, Jesus not only displays this here by riding in on a humble donkey, but didn't Jesus display it in how he lived and cared for others? I think about Jesus the day that he saw that woman with the little, that, that only had the, the copper coins. When he pointed out to all those Pharisees, they were all just, you know, high on themselves. He's, you tithe of your mint and cumin, you know, the, you do all the same. But that woman right there, she's given more than any of you. That poor woman, that all she had was two copper coins, probably not even enough to buy a week's worth of food. But she gave it because she gave from her heart. It was Jesus that, that elevated the poor and the helpless. It was Jesus that lifted them up. And so it's not just this day that he shows his humbleness, but it's in his life. It's in how he directed us to care for the orphaned, for the widows, for those who are in prison. He said that, that for us to be a part of him, we have to be willing to do that. And if we aren't, then we're not a part of him. Jesus' humbleness is not just on this day. But this day just seems to be the crescendo of it all coming together where we see the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords being announced that he is the Savior of the world and he's riding in on a little old donkey. And I think about just a, it wasn't just an ordinary donkey, it was a, it was a young donkey. It was just a, just a baby. This untrained donkey. You would think that, listen, but I'm going to ride on a donkey, I want one that's trained. Y'all know what I'm saying? By the way, you might want to know that when you used to watch the show Hee Haw, that actually comes from the term gee and haw, which is how you steer mules, right? People think it comes from the sound of ah, right? They think it sounds like hee haw. That's nothing to do with it, right? Now, this is absolutely zero information that you can use for anything else. <laughs> but just know that hee haw actually was gee and haw. That's left and right to a donkey. 
But Jesus riding one never been rode before. You imagine that? Because as Jesus says, listen, you have to have zero talent and zero experience to be used by me. I'm the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and I want you in my service, and I'm not, I don't want you for your talent. I don't want you for your ability. I just want you for your obedience, and I will give you what you need. I wonder if Jesus was just directing that little donkey. Easy. All right, got a little step here now. It's all good. I wonder, I can see him now just probably patting him on the head, and you know how you pat a horse on the side of the neck, just let him know you're doing good. I can just imagine him, just this beautiful, loving Savior, Riding in on this donkey that's never been ridden before. Don't worry about it. I know you've never been ridden before, but listen, it'll be all right. I'll direct your steps. It'll be okay. The loving Savior that we have. And so Jesus come in on this day. They had known this passage of Zechariah 9. They had been taught this passage. They had been looking for the Messiah. And now, before their very eyes, they were hoping that he's the one. But now, there is no question that Jesus is him. Because now he comes in riding in on this donkey and this scripture is fulfilled in Zechariah 9. Can you imagine being there that day? To finally, after all the years you've been listening to the teaching of the, of the scribes and the Pharisees, you've been, you've been reading this in the scrolls over and over waiting for the Messiah to come. When will he come? Will it be in our lifetime? Will it we get to see him or will it be the, the lifetime of my children or maybe my grandchildren? Remember, it's been about 400 years since God has spoken anyway. Jesus is here. Is this him? He's been doing a lot of the things that I think the Messiah would do. And, and I've been reading about what the Messiah is going to be like and he sure is a lot like him. But today, today, if there was any doubt, that doubt should be over. Because now Jesus has fulfilled this passage. And he comes in exactly like God said he would. As prophesied through the prophet Zechariah. By the way, Zechariah wasn't the only one to tell him this story. I want you to go back in the way back. right? Get in your, your Bible bus or your Bible time machine. And let's go on backwards again to Genesis chapter 29. I'm sorry, Genesis 49. Genesis 49. There are so many things in, in, in the scriptures that if we'll just dig in, there's so much that we can see and so much that just helps us believe and, and just even more strongly and desire to look at the word uh, more deeply when we, we start to connect some of these dots. Sal and I spent some time in the office. So Sal's sitting here listening to me preach thinking she's already heard some of this because I just get excited about it. I can't help it. In Genesis 49, verse 10, Jacob is giving a blessing to his sons. And now he's going to, he's giving a blessing to, 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 uh, to Judah. Right? And Jesus is the lion of Judah. It's out of the line of Judah that the, the Messiah will come, right? Look at what this passage says. It says, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute, right? comes to him. Now, a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, translations use the word Shiloh here, right? Uh, it means one who is sent, right? Uh, one who is sent, or the sent, the one who is sent, right? Until Shiloh comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the people. 
binding his foal to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine. Uh, uh, yeah, binding his foal to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine. Right? He has washed his garments in wine and his vesture in the blood of grapes. And that talks about um, really just how they will flourish. But we see here that when, when Jacob is blessing Judah, he tells him, the scepter shall not part from Judah, nor the roller staff from between his feet until shallow comes on, until the one who is sent. You know who that's talking about? Jesus. Now, what does it mean about this scepter? Let me tell you, I'm going to take a, 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 a parenthetical journey here. When you put something in parentheses, in other words, it's going to just give you a little extra information, but it doesn't have to be a part of the overalls. So I'm just going to give you a little bit extra that's not necessarily about Palm Sunday. But when it talks about here until, until shallow comes to him or until tribute comes, uh, the scepter will not leave. It talks about they, they will be able to rule. In other words, this, this lineage, this king lineage will continue. And the scepter, in other words, the control or the ability to, to govern their own people will not leave them until the one who is sent comes. Now, don't forget that Judah was the southern kingdom that split off of Israel, right? Uh, but still yet, uh, even when they were in captivity, right, even when they were in captivity, they were allowed to hold uh, the people, right? The, uh, the Sanhedrin, all those guys were allowed to hold the people accountable according to the law. And they even had the ability, now listen to this, they even had the ability to, uh, to d uh, deliver capital punishment if necessary. They were given that. So even the ones who took them captive, the Babylonian captive, even them, they would allow them to still be their nation. Now, they, 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 they couldn't rule outside of their own people, but inside their own people, they were still allowed to govern and, and have, you know, the ability to live out their, their laws. And these are the laws that God gave them. They were still allowed to live those out until we see a change come, Right? And we see in Luke chapter 2, there was a decree sent out from Caesar Augustus that all should be taxed. We see Jesus show up on the scene. Caesar's changing things. He's no longer allowing that. How do we know that? Remember when the woman who was taking adultery was brought to Jesus? And the Pharisees wanted to tempt Jesus. They wanted to catch him. You see, what they were trying to do was catch Jesus in this thing. Because this woman was caught in adultery. And according to Mosaic law, somebody who was caught in adultery had to be put to death. But they were no longer allowed under Caesar's rule to deliver that punishment. So they put Jesus in a predicament because if Jesus held to the Mosaic law, then he would be against the Roman law. And there he would be punished by Roman rule. But if he ignored the Mosaic law, then how could he be the perfect Messiah? You see the quandary they had him in? What did Jesus say, though? Remember what he said? Ye without sin cast the first stone. Jesus knew what they were trying to do. So we see now, though, for the first time, that, that now they don't really, they are living under their Mosaic law inside Jerusalem and behaving themselves, but Romans are basically controlling things. And now they don't have as much control as they used to, and they cannot deliver punishment according to their laws like they once were able to. Why? Because Shiloh has came. Isn't that beautiful? 
When God says this is the way it's going to be, folks, you know what? This is the way it's going to be. Isn't that beautiful? It's an extra point that I maybe helped you connect. So maybe, if anything, that helps you just to get excited about just diving into God's word. And so we see that Jesus coming in this day is just an absolute glorious day. It's the day they've been waiting for. Jesus had all the right stuff, right? When we, when we go back to, to the writings of Isaiah, right? Uh, when we look at uh, the characteristics, right, of, of what the Messiah is going to be like, Jesus was all of that. And, 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 and in this coming week when he's taken, he's going to do exactly what Isaiah said. He's going to stand there. He's not going to give a defense for himself. Why? Because he took on our sin and shame. There is no defense for that. But he himself knew no sin. And so I want to go back now and just pick up in Zechariah. Zechariah gave us this description of the Messiah, right? And so we know it's going to be like, we know that he's coming in as king, right? When Jesus comes in, he, he is the king that they've been waiting for. He is the Messiah. He is out of the kingly line of David, the, the lion of Judah, out of that line that we see when, when Jacob is blessing his son all the way back in, in Genesis 49. Jesus is him. Jesus, Shiloh, the one who was sent, has now come. And now it's all come together. He rides in and presents himself. I am him. But Zechariah said that this king, this humble king, he would, he would, he, he would be righteous. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we may become the righteousness of God. Zechariah said that he would be salvation. Salvation has come. The Messiah is our source of salvation. There is no other way. Jesus came to bring more to the world than what the world wanted. That's what we see play out in Passion Week, doesn't it? Here we are on Palm Sunday. They're crying out, Hosanna. Son of David, Hosanna in the highest. Save us. This is awesome. This day has come. They're laying down their cloaks and their palm branches. This is all the, the, the beautiful picture of a victorious king riding into his people. That's exactly what this is. And he's come to bring salvation, which is more than what they wanted. Because the salvation he came to bring was that he came to reconcile us to the Father. Because we had a sin debt that we, can, that, that we cannot pay. We can give our life, but still yet. There's nothing else to give. We have to give our life. The wages of sin is death. I owe this debt that I cannot pay except for to give my life for eternity. But Jesus came to reconcile us to the Father, to bring salvation. What they wanted was someone to deliver them from Roman rule and make them a nation once again like they used to be when they were the ones that were conquering lands and taking the land flowing with milk and honey. They were looking to go back to that day of old the way they used to be. That's all they really wanted. They, they weren't worried about it. They were living according to their laws. And they felt that their laws made them righteous. And we know that, listen, the Bible says, and Paul says very explicitly in the book of Romans, that the law exposes sin. It doesn't cleanse us from sin. And so there they had to continually give sacrifices. And the high priest loved it because... We, we find that in the Jesus cleanses the temple, they were in there, they were, they were making profit 
off of people's desire to be cleansed of their sin. They were making profit off of that. They would come in and like, oh, your sacrifice has got some blemish on it. Uh, you can't use that one, but I got one over here. I'll sell you. Jesus drove the money changers out. He brought true salvation. By the way, they were living according to the law. And you know what happens when you start living according to a group of laws? You start looking for the loopholes in the law. And we saw that. We, we saw that. In the high priests themselves, trying to live in through those loopholes. And even today, sometimes people want to know, what can I do, you know, what can I do as a Christian and still get away with it, right? What are the things that I can do that I can still get away with it and still call myself a Christian? And Paul kind of summed that up very nicely when he said, I'm sorry, it was either... Uh, I'm sorry, not Paul, I believe it was John, in either 1st or 2nd John, says, right, for you to know right and not do it, it is sin. There are no loopholes. Not doing what you know to be right is sin. Jesus come to bring salvation. Acts chapter 4, verse 11 through 12 says, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone, and there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under, under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus came to bring them more than they ever wanted. They just wanted to, to be free of Roman rule. They thought that was salvation. They had their all. But Jesus comes to give them a much better way. Jesus came. He was, he was righteous. He brought salvation. And Zechariah also said that he was humble. Although he deserved every bit of pomp and circumstance he got that day, he deserved even more than, more than we could ever give him. But still yet we see Jesus who was, who was willing to humble himself. And this is what Philippians says in chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. It says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equal equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Don't think for a minute yet, for a moment, that Jesus enjoyed the cross. Don't think for a minute he enjoyed that. Because we see the pain in the garden. Where Jesus is praying, and, and he's under such, uh, I, don't, I, I don't know what word to use, but he was under such stress, if you will, or I don't even know if there's a good word for it, but he was, he was just so stressed and under so much pressure that he, he dripped blood off his brow. That, and by the way, it's, it's, it's known that it, that can happen where blood vessels can pop uh, under so much stress that blood vessels can burst and and. Sweat mixed with blood dripped from his brow because he said, Father, if it be your will to deliver me, but nevertheless not my will, but that will be done. Jesus was saying, the physical part of me does not want to do this. This is going to be the worst thing that I think a human's ever endured. And it's going to be excruciating. But nevertheless, this is what you have for me. I'm going to do it. I'm going to take on sin. Not because I've done nothing to deserve this. That's, I'm sure it was what going to Jesus' mind. I, I've done nothing to deserve this, but yet 
This is the Father's plan that I take on sin that I didn't commit. But in doing so, I can free them from the guilt of sin and from the effects of sin. And so, Father, if that is your will, then I'll do it. He was righteous. He brought salvation. And he was humble. How can we not be? That's what Paul was writing to the church of Philippi. Have this mind among yourselves. Jesus, did not, who in the form of God did not count himself equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant. You and I, we need to do the same. Jesus is willing to humble himself. And so now this all comes together. The, the crowd sees in a physical sense that Jesus is the Messiah. Who they knew the fashion of his coming. So when Jesus comes, they've been taught this. They knew this. And so this is a great day and they're crying out, Hosanna, save us. But here's the problem. And here's the problem that I think that even people face today is this. Did they see Jesus for who he was or for who they wanted him You see, we, we cry out when God does something that we want done. God is so good. All the time, all the time, God is good. But a true understanding of Jesus and who he is drives us even in, when we're in times of despair. You see, it's easy when you drive home from the doctor and you got a good report that everything is going great and it's beautiful. God is good. But when you get the bad report and it's something that you can't fix, can we cry out, God is good? It's hard. There's days that still yet Sal and I get a little bummed, struggle a little. It's not that we don't trust him, but kind of like Jesus in the garden, on a very small, small scale, we know that God will take care of this ultimately and it's going to be okay, but it's, it's going to be a ride that's going to have pain involved. It's going to have uncomfortableness involved. It's going to be things we don't want to endure involved. Still yet, God is good. And if it happens, there has to be a reason. And so these people are crying out, Hosanna, because they, they, they see that Jesus riding in, and there's this big crescendo that he rides in this day. I am him. This is that, that final check, right? Think about this. Line of David, check. Is he humble? Check. Did he do all the things that described so far in the Torah? Check. As he come in on a donkey, now they can say, check. It's him. And a lot of times people claim to see God. They claim to have an experience with God, but yet it was just one that they wanted because they saw God as God is able and that, that when Jesus came in that day, they saw that he was the one. But you know, it only took a couple days 
in that same crowd cried something totally different. And why is that? Because sometimes when we know that God has the power to do all things, they saw Jesus raise the dead. They saw, they, he walked on water. He, he healed people who were sick. He, he gave the blind people their sight back. He cleansed lepers. He had done all these things. Surely he will do this one thing that he wants. And when Jesus does not exercise his power according to our will, we are then find ourselves with a huge conflict on our hands because the flesh part of me says, if you can do it and you didn't, it's because you didn't want to, not because you couldn't. And we have to come to terms with that. That sometimes God tells me, And so when Jesus stands before Pilate, when, when, he, when he goes through the, the, the mockery of trials and finally gets delivered to Pilate and goes back and forth into him and Herod, and he stands there and he doesn't even open his mouth to defend himself. I thought this was the guy. I thought this was him. What happened? Maybe Lazarus was asleep in that cave for four days and they were sneaking him food just to make a, a, a big thing so when Jesus shows up, it looks like he's alive again. If he did all them things, why ain't he doing it now? Why isn't he right there? Pilate them are right there. He could just, just end all of this and crush them and we could be over ourselves again and have our own government and be the Israel of all. We could do that right now. Jesus, go ahead. Show your power. Jesus stands there. Doesn't open his mouth. And you know, sometimes we're so immature. That's hard to handle. That Jesus who could didn't. Why? Because it wasn't the will of the Father. that's not what God wanted. And so you know what they did in Matthew 27? Pilate offered them a choice. We have Jesus who had never hurt anyone. When they came to take him in the garden, Peter done drew a sword and lopped off a guy's ear. Jesus puts it back on. Never hurt anyone. All he ever did was heal, love, have compassion for people, fed them. Then you have Barabbas over here. You have Barabbas that all he was known for was all the crazy stuff he did. He was a known thief and, and, and he, uh, suddenly I can't remember the group they said that, uh, that he was a part of, but uh, he was a part of this, this very aggressive, it'd be like paramilitary kind of like today. And he was part of this group that, that would fight for money. They would do all those things behind the scenes that people would give them money for to rough people up and, and do stuff like that. He was like a group of henchmen, if you will, for the Sanhedrin. Everybody knew this guy was bad news. And when Jesus didn't do what they wanted him to do, 
Pilate gave them a choice, Barabbas or Jesus. They chose Barabbas. In Matthew 27, verse 21, it says, The governor said, to them, said again to them, Which of the two do you want me to release to you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? They all said, Let him be crucified. And he said, Why? What evil has he done? When the Roman is taken up for you, that's bad, isn't it? When the Roman heathen who worshiped false gods would take up for Jesus over his own people that he came to save, that shows how low humanity can be and how selfish we can become. But when we choose our way over God's way, are we any different? Because instead of crying out Barabbas, give me Barabbas. Instead of that, I cry out sometimes, give me Huff. I want my way. So Pilate said, what evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, let him be crucified. In just four or five days time, they went from crying out Hosanna. Blessed be the son of David. Give us the thief and murderer. You can have Jesus. He's not going to do things my way. We say God is good when he does it our way. The things that we want. But are we willing to say God is good when he doesn't? But that same choice they made that day. It's the same choice that's being made every day today, isn't it? Is there any difference? Sometimes when Jesus is silent, and by silent, it means that we don't see him say anything or doing anything in our lives. First off, we know that that's really false. So a lot of times God is doing great things in our life. We just don't see it. God is, he's doing things behind the scenes and setting us up for great success. And we don't see it because we don't see him right here in front of me right now doing the things that I want. But when God is silent or when God says the, the, the word we hate the most, no. That's the moment where it, we truly find out if we're in love with him or not. If we're in love with God, then we have to come to the conclusion and understand that his will is perfect and ours isn't. This crowd, it only took a little bit to sway their minds. And they went from crying out Hosanna to crying out crucified. But I've seen people in the church do the very thing, haven't you? They come and God is good and he's so great and, and they want him to do something in their life. And when God doesn't do it, then they have no use for him. I had one person tell me, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm look, I look forward to the day that I meet God because i got some questions for him. I'm like, oh, really? You'll fall flat on your face in fear because that's what everybody else does that's ever even had a glimpse of him. We won't stand there and, and question him and bring him down to our level. Job thought he was going to do that too. He wanted his day in court. And Jesus and God said to him, where were you when I formed the world? Where were you when I put the waters on the earth and, and created its borders? 
he went on to say that I, I created the Levitan, and I forget what the other one was. It was kind of like a hippo or a crocodile or whatever and all that stuff. He, basically, he was saying, I make creatures that you're scared of, but I made them. You know those big creatures that you're scared of? That crocodile that you won't get in the water because that crocodile's in there? You're scared of that, but that is my creation. I made it. And so if you're scared of it, how would you ever think that you would want your day in court with me? You're scared of the smallest things I made. What about my majesty? Of course, Joe, Joe humbled himself and realized that that God is good. And by the way, Job never ever got to know about that conversation that, that was in chapter 1 of Job that, that God had with Satan. He never, we never see that he was ever told why all that went down the way it did. But he was willing to trust God. So this is the most beautiful day. Jesus comes in and identifies himself as the King of Kings. And I want you to know right now that every day God reveals himself. In Romans chapter 1, it says just by very nature, we can see that God exists. People who deny him are, are just willing to deny the, the proof that's there. They say there's no proof, but yet we see it. Do the math. Just look at biology itself and the makeup of cells and do the math. You cannot deny a creator, a designer. God is revealing himself and has revealed himself. Jesus is not someone that we believe in just a figment of our imagination. The fact is, is that Jesus, there's proof of Jesus in writings outside of the Bible. Several historians outside of the scriptures talk about Jesus. He existed. They talk about his crucifixion. They talk about his being seen after the crucifixion. What other proof do you need? Jesus presented himself that day, and that day everything was great. But when Jesus didn't act and didn't do what they wanted him to do, they quickly turned on him. And so God is not a puppet. He's not a genie in a bottle. He's holy God. He is righteous. And he brings salvation. And his will is perfect. Will we follow him? Because we're all given that decision. Are you going to choose Huff? Or am I going to choose him? They made that decision that day and they cried out Barabbas. And for a lot of my life, I cried out Huff. But finally, one day I realized, I realized who he was and that he loved me. And from that day forward, I've been crying out, give me Jesus, because Huff just won't do. I hope that you cry out the same. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Lord, we thank you for this beautiful passage of scripture. Lord, we thank you for this beautiful day. Lord, this day that you wrote in over 2,000 years ago and announced that you were the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Father, I think of that big victory celebration, how wonderful it is. But Lord, we know that that celebration is, is not even going to compare, Lord, to that time that you call us home when we have the marriage supper of the Lamb. Father, we know that that's going to be, Lord, just, Lord, our minds can't even comprehend the beauty of it. Father, I know that there are many people, Lord, that struggle because, God, that sometimes you don't do the things they want. And they struggle with that. So, Father, I pray today, Lord, that they're able to see, Lord, the, the love that you have for us, the humility that you've shown, but to know that you came and that you love us past what we want because, Lord, we would sell ourselves short. We sell ourselves short all the time, and they did that back then 2,000 years ago 
what they thought they wanted. Lord, you came to bring so much more. They wanted to be saved from the Romans, but you came to give them peace and reconcile them to the Father. Lord, which is what they needed way more than being over top of the Roman government. But Lord, there's a lot of people right now, Lord, that will just sell out just to have a little peace for just a moment in time. But Lord, to know that you brought us to give us peace for an eternity. Father, I pray that they can see past their own wants and see your love and choose you. Lord, I choose you. And Lord, I pray that each and every person who hears this will choose you. Lord, we love you. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus.